Hey, y'all, and welcome back to Native Soil. We continue Season 5, digging into the theme of youth ministry, and couldn't have this episode without one of the godfathers, in my mind, of youth ministry the in the Archdiocese of Mobile. Hey. Hey. The, the Padron. Favor for you. That's right. Uh, Todd Sylvester, great to have you here, man. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. A um, lot of things I want to ask you about, about youth ministry and all, but let, let's just start. People might not know you out there. A little bit about who who are you, where are you from, some basics, your family, that kind of thing. Yeah, originally, uh, I tell people I'm from Connecticut. I was born in Massachusetts, kind of grew up in Connecticut after fourth grade, and then went out to Franciscan University. That was a big, big thing in my life. Right. That's where I met my wife. And then moved down to Louisiana, was a high school teacher there, religion teacher at an all-boys Catholic high school, Archbishop Rommel, for four years. Then went to Nashville, got a record contract. And it was, you know, sometimes you get what you pray for, right. and then it's a nightmare. Right. And it was just so hard on my family, you know, so much travel and everything. So got out of that. Singing Christian music. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, I mean, that part of it was great. And you love connecting with people oh, yeah. and talk. I mean, singing about Jesus, that's what we're... I'm hoping to do forever, so that'll be great. But while I was there, Father Wall called me. Um, I left Nashville, went to Connecticut, was working for my parents, and then he offered me the position as a youth minister down at St. Ignatius. So when people say, when did you think about youth ministry? I didn't. It chose me. Amazing. And, and he called and I said, oh, that's really great, but no because we had just moved there. I mean, we literally had most of our life still in boxes. Right. And I was like, man, two months earlier than this. This so would have been nice. This would have been cool, because then we could have packed the U-Haul and then headed to Alabama rather than out east. So we kept going on with our lives, and a few days later, he called again. And he said, we really feel like the Holy Spirit wants you down here in Mobile at St. Ignatius. I'm like, oh, that's really, that's sweet. <laughs> that's sweet. That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by that. Right. No, no. And then the third time he called a few days later and he, he wasn't being pushy. He was just being tenacious. Right. And he, he said, you know, we, Todd, we really feel like the Holy Spirit wants you here. And I'm like, well, you know what? That's great. But stop <laughs> calling me. And where are y'all living at this point? In Connecticut. In Connecticut. And my parents had set me up. You know, we're in a townhouse. We're trying to get ourselves. I mean, there's other details. Right. I broke a record contract and they were suing me. So I was, you know, anxious about that right. and worried about a lot of things. So I'm like, listen, buddy, I, I, I don't have time for this now. Right. I got a lot. So of I said, you fires. audacious man, stop calling me. Right. And I hung up on him, Ooh. like classically, <laughs> like the movies, yeah. like bam. And most young people you don't understand that. Right. Because they, they were like, cell phone, how do you hang up on somebody? Yeah. Just by pressing a button? No, I'm talking about down Land on the line. receiver, bam. Yeah. And I, my wife did not overhear that conversation. She was in the kitchen. So I, I walk from there into the kitchen. I'm all huffing and puffing, testosterone's flowing through my veins. And before I say a word, she goes, you know, I've been thinking it'd be really nice to move back south. And I was like, oh my gosh, why are you saying that now? I said, uh, Father Wall just called. And she goes, oh, what'd he say? I'm like, oh, well, I hung up on him. She goes, why? Why would you do that? I'm like, because we already had this conversation, I thought. I thought we knew where we were going and what we were doing. And she goes, well, what if he calls back? And I'm like, baby, I classically hung up on him. Right. Like in the movies, right. I hung up on him. Right. It, he's not calling back. And she right. goes, what if he does? And I said, then we'll take that as a sign. And then we'll move to Mobile, sight unseen. 
I'd only been through here. You know, they met me because I did a concert at St. Pius. That's where I met Father Steve for the first time. And because I was doing music, I was traveling. Just through that concert? Yeah. Well, and we had mutual friends from Franciscan University. Okay, gotcha. So he, he, and it was people that Father Wall trusted. Right. They're like, you don't really know this guy, but we do. And right. we think he'd be the right fit for this. Even though I wasn't, I'd never done full-time youth ministry. I had worked with CCRNO when I was in New Orleans, when I was a teacher. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that because it was a struggle for me as a teacher because you got to keep bigger boundaries. Right. You know, because you're Mr. Sylvester. Right. And even though I really wanted to minister to these kids. Right. I mean, I really wanted to connect with their hearts because that's what ministry is all about. But anyway, so he calls back a week later and he goes, have you calmed down yet? And I was <laughs> oh. like, yes, Father. He, he, he says, we really, every time we pray, your name keeps coming up. Like we all are confident that this is where you're supposed to be. And I said, I agree with you now. I agree with you. And we just packed up everything and headed down to Mobile. That's amazing. It was amazing. I mean, because it's such an incredible parish, so many great people. I mean, the memories now are crazy awesome. And how long has it been since you moved down to the Mobile area? Oh, man, 25 years now? 25 years. Yeah, I think it was 97. And you and and you really feel like the way that that unfolded, you know, you TV, slam the phone, all this stuff. And then your wife immediately is like, oh, what if I move into South? Yeah. But in that, it's obviously easier to see in hindsight. But but from this vantage point, you you see that it's like the Lord himself reaching out to you. Oh, yeah. Like calling you to be here. No, I'm not joking when I say youth ministry chose me. Right. Like it was not on my radar. If people had said, you know, put together your your resume. You know, I, I've, I don't know if I've ever applied for a job. Right. Ever. Like even the teaching job, they they contacted me and I was like, that sounds cool. Right. And then the youth ministry position. And then after, after that, I thought I was getting out of youth ministry. I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm a little bit burnt out. And then Father Steve at St. Lawrence was like, can you just come and help? And I, I came over to consult with his youth minister at the time. Right. And the first consultation, the guy says, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving to discern the priesthood. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. You made my job easy. <laughs> you know, I still get the free lunch. Right. Yeah. So, so we're good. Right. And then Father Steve was like, can you help me find a youth minister? And right. can you run the program until we do? And it took <laughs> seven years. <laughs> right. <laughs> Finally find somebody. Right. So, so the, the Lord had a little more for you yeah, before that yeah. transition. And it worked because, you know, it was one of those things where I, God knows what, what we love right. and God knows how to work with our hearts. You know, if you're docile to the Holy Spirit, it's so cool what God can do through us. Because right. at first I was resistant. I was resistant. I had some bitterness and all this other kind of stuff. And, and, and yet God was like, hey, why don't you work on the youth center? Because you like to build stuff. Right. Why don't you just work on the youth center? So I, I built a theater and I was a little depressed at the time and it got me out of depression. Yeah. Like just being able to buy some chairs and build some platforms and weld some stuff and paint some stuff and put mm -hmm. in lights and, and put a big screen in there and surround sound and all that stuff. And afterwards I was like, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Like you, you know me so well and, and this is going to have an impact on a lot of young people. Right. That's awesome too. I mean, kind of the space of vocation, you know, uh, a lot of times people are going to have so much pressure, like, oh, you know, I, I got to figure this out. But to have that confidence that you're talking about of like, God knows you. Yeah. 
He does. loves you. And like he wants you to be in a position where you can use those gifts and talents and mm-hmm. really come alive. And I mean, your story is poignant. I mean, he works in our lives differently, but I think it's a great reminder all those listening is that you're not just like out there alone trying to figure your life no. out. Like it's and one of the most consoling things about faith <laughs> in God. I, like, like, I don't like that phrase, the devil's in the details, yeah. because God's in the details. Right. God God is in the minutia. God's everywhere. It's not always just the grand big things of, oh, you're going to move your family across the bay. It's right. like, that's a big deal. But God knows for me to be able to do that. Like, f- and Father Steve was brilliant too, because he knew my resistance. I was like, yeah, I'll come over on Sundays and Wednesdays. And that's, that's about it. And then he said, well, this is the house that the youth minister would normally live in. What would it take for you guys to move into this house? Right. And I was like, oh, well, I would need to close in the garage and add another master bedroom bath. And he goes, okay, you want to do that? And I'm like, well, yeah, I want to do that. I, I, love, <laughs> I love building stuff. Right. Even if I don't move in, you know that I love that kind of stuff. Right. That brings you life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And God knows that. And that's yes. why he has those people in our lives that kind of, you know, reel us in. Right. And so having that opportunity to put on that extra room, to build that youth center, to weld those chairs and a yeah. platform. Heck yeah. God's in that. Yeah. Like he's like, here, Todd, you're yeah. going to like this. Yeah. In <laughs> like, the chop saw, yeah, baby. Right. That's where he's at. Sparks <laughs> flying. Yeah, right. Woo! Yeah, here it is. So let's let us let's back up. Um, what was your experience of youth ministry like? Um, I know I've heard you share your testimony some, but could, could you share some of that? Like what impact did it make on you to the point that, like you said, you're teaching all these years later. Yeah. And there's something about you like, I want to touch their hearts. I want to minister you know, the faith to these kids in a deeper way. How, how did you experience that? I grew up in a family that was agnostic, you know, so we, my parents were both Catholic and they had us all baptized, which I'm so grateful for, but they didn't raise us in the faith. So went to public school my whole life and until college. And, but during that public school time, my sophomore year in high school, it was January 13th, 1984. And I distinctly remember it because it was Friday the 13th. Right. And I was and and there was a snowstorm taking place. Uh, I, I was invited to go on this retreat that I was totally tricked on because mm-hmm. I was in the drama club and some of the people in the drama club who were Catholic were like, you'd love this Emmaus retreat. And because they have skits and music and skits, and they knew that I loved all that kind of stuff. Right. So I'm like, all right, all right, that sounds kind of cool. So I went, and as soon as I got there, I realized, oh no, this is like a totally religious thing. Right. And I wanted out. And my ride had already left the people that dropped me off. And I'm like, come on, this is ridiculous. Was it a Catholic thing? It was Catholic. Yeah. So I was sitting in the back of the chapel, and this girl's giving this this talk, and I don't remember what she looked like, and I don't remember really anything about the talk except this one line. She said, I had to ask myself the question, is there a God? And I know it sounds silly that at 15 years old, I honestly had never sincerely asked myself that question. Yeah. But I was sat there and I'm like, is there a God? Like, is there a God? Well, duh, of course there is. Like the world can't be like this. And I wasn't even thinking about the beauty and, and, and the order and the essences and every aspect of it and why food tastes so good. And I mean, just all of that stuff, but it just immediately came to me. I mean, I just blame it on the Holy Spirit that I, I definitively knew absolutely 
you're an idiot if you don't think that there's a God. Right. But then I thought, okay, what kind of an idiot would know that and not pay any attention to him and, and not learn about him? Right. So the whole rest of the retreat, I, I perked up, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to listen to everything. And I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm like right. getting in the front row now, you know, I was in the back <laughs> corner in the shadows and now I'm like, I'm trying to take notes and stuff. And uh. I'm like, slow down, slow down. <laughs> yeah. I need to know all of I this. I need to know everything. <laughs> so afterwards I came home and I told my parents, I'm, I'm like, I, I absolutely love God. And they're like, what are you on? Like, what's wrong with you? And I, and I said, this is real. Like all, all of this is real. I know it's real. I have just honestly a very childlike faith and, and it's a, been a blessing my whole life because mm -hmm. to me, it's just so obvious. I, I, as soon as they say that's Jesus in the Eucharist, I'm like, well, of course it is. Of course it is. None of this would make sense if that's not Jesus in the Eucharist. Yeah. And of course this is his church. I know it's full of sin because I'm in it, but it, it was, it just always amazed me. It just, it just blew me away. So I went after God, like, like a, a, a madman. Right. And uh, I remember my spiritual director years later told me, he said, Todd, one day you'll be a saint. And of course my head just, <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's yeah. rocking. I am and, the Godfather. Right. And then, and yeah. And, but then after a nice pause, he goes, or you'll go to hell. And I was like, whoa, that just deflated me. You took the wind out of my sails, man. Because he said, you have no attenuator. You can't do anything partially. You're either 100% in or you're 100% out. And he said, now God can use that if you let him, but be cautious about that reality. Oh. And I was like, okay. Cause, and, and it shook me to my core because I'm like, you're right. So I, I appreciate my childlike faith. I appreciate that, you know, of being able to do that. So I got involved with the retreats, those same retreats that I went on. Yeah. And, and um, because my parents, honestly, I, I love them dearly. They, they gave me everything that they had to give, but because they didn't have the gift of faith, I connected myself with one of the families that was involved with, with those retreats. Right. And, and I'm grateful to them. I'm eternally grateful to them because I got to spend time with them. They got to answer my questions. They got right. to affirm me at times that I needed. They got to direct me a little bit when I was getting off the rails. And, and at, at a certain point, you know, I, I figured, oh, well, God's gotta be calling me to the priesthood. You know, it's the same thing, right. either 100%, or, or, zero. or zero. And so I went off to Franciscan University. It's a long story of how that kind of happened. While I was there, my spiritual director was like, you, you need to pray about whether God really is calling you to priesthood because he recognized it. He's like, you just think that that's the only way that you can give yourself a hundred percent. And he goes, it's not the only way. It's not the only way. And, and as I kind of prayed through that, I realized, wow, God, I think really is calling me to married and family life. Right. He goes, Todd, for you, he says, I think you can do it to lay down the gift of being a father at the foot of the cross. He says, I think you can do it, but I don't know if God's asking you to do that. Right. You, you think that that's the, the way, like, oh, I've got to, you know, sacrifice that. But he, but he said, once I kind of worked that through, I'm like, yeah, I think God's really calling me to family life. And then eventually, you know, a year later, I met my wife. And, and from there, it just has been a party. It's an absolute party. We're coming up on... 32 years of marriage. 32 years of marriage. A yeah. couple of kids. Um, 10. <laughs> Four grandkids thus far. Just had my daughter get married a little while ago, so we're hoping. Come yeah, on, yeah. let's go. Let's get that, go, let's get that let's next go. generation going. <laughs> 
That's great. All in. Yeah. You're all in. Yeah. So that was my aspect of, of youth ministry. Right. And the reason why I, I knew that eventually like teaching was good, but I just, I'll give you my philosophy of youth ministry <clears throat> because it, it comes down to the human person yeah. and it's, it's all of our kind of desires is the first thing you have to do in youth ministry is you have to recognize the person. That's why it's so important to immediately learn their names. I mean, and I'm not good with names. I'll write stuff down. I'll use a Sharpie and write stuff down. You've got to get the names. You've got to get, <clears throat> you know, name association or whatever it is, because it hurts them to not be recognized. Right. There are a lot of psychologists today that even are talking about school shooters and, and they're reading their writings, you know, after the fact, sadly, right. and how so many of them, it's a consistent thing where they just feel invisible. Yeah. They feel invisible. Like no one sees them. So you've got to recognize them first. And then secondly, they have to feel authentically loved, authentically loved. Yeah. And if you don't recognize them and love them, you are wasting your time. No teenager is going to connect themselves to a program. Right. It has nothing to do. You could have the coolest thing. You could be copying the mega Protestant churches and mm -hmm. there could be pyrotechnics mm -hmm. and everything in the world. Right. But if they don't feel recognized and loved, then you're wasting your time. Yeah. Because then, then after that, and it creates, a, you know, a relationships first, then you can catechize them. Then, then they, they really want to know what's motivating you, what's moving you. They want to know your story because you know theirs. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. And that's so good. So first, you got you got to recognize. Got to recognize. Acknowledge, them. like you exist. And, and everybody makes exist. fun of me because I'm over the top. I get it. I get it. I was a youth <laughs> minister for decades. But when a kid walks in, we cheer. Yeah. We literally cheer. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. Father Victor! Yeah. And we do it for everybody, right. especially the introverted shy kids. Right. Because no one's doing it for them. Right. They, they're a wallflower. And sometimes they'll be like, oh, I'm comfortable with that. It's like, no, I, I get it. I'm not trying to put you on stage. I don't want to make you anxious. Right. But I do want to make sure that you know that you're recognized. And I do want you to know that we feel like we're a better place because you're here. Right. That's important. That's so important. And that's part of that whole aspect when you talk about what my youth ministry was like. I knew those were the, I think that's what touched me the most is I felt loved. And what did that do for you? What did that do for you? And what do you see when you recognize somebody and you love them? It makes you whole. I mean, it makes you the, the, full, the fullness of who you are. You, you know how, um, what's his name? Matthew um, uh, Kelly. Matthew Kelly. He says, become the best version of yourself. yourself. Um, I like that, but I tweaked it. I just say, become the true version of yourself. Yeah. The true version of ourselves is someone who knows that we are loved, that we are loved. And, and you walk around understanding that God never takes his gaze off of you. He never stops, in, in essence, just looking at you with love. And I think about the times in my life, like um, when my kids are small and when they're, when they're sleeping, I know it sounds a little creepy, but I'd go in there and, and watch them sleep. Yeah. And sometimes I'd, I'd get lost in it. You'd be there for like 45 minutes and you're just watching them and you're just watching them breathe so, so slightly and, and they'll kind of move a little bit and twitch their nose and, and you're, you're just in awe. 
Like I've teared up just looking at us at one of my sleeping children. Right. That's how God looks at us. Always. Right. Always. We get caught up in the garbage of our lives and all like, oh God, look away. You know, I'm a sinner. It's like it's like God's like, I am never going to look yes. away. That is a dumb thing to say yes. to God. I am never gonna look away. <clears throat> and what you've seen, I think one of the joys it must be of being a youth minister and one of the reasons maybe you do it so long as you get to see that transformation like you get to see the light go yeah. on some i mean it's, I'm yeah. sure it's not always but when the times that i, I know it's a gradual process mm -hmm. but when you see a young person they you recognize them mm -hmm. you love them and then you start to see that they realize all the stuff you're saying that god loves me he's always looking. it's what? not the realization and it's not even the light going off right. because that's more of a cerebral thing right it's the encounter the encounter when you see them have the encounter with christ yes and you're like whoa there it is and what impact does that make on a person like you it's, it's eternal impact <laughs> or how it's, do you it's eternal it, you it changes everything can you see like in the way they behave the way that they show up can you yeah i mean we the, can all um, we can all see the fruits of that kind of stuff to a right. certain degree and then you, we also understand that it it can be passing at times right. i mean there's there's those kids that look like woo you yeah. know, the, the, we talk about soil when their roots are not deep. Right. And that's, that's hard. So, but your prayer is always that it's something that's forever. Yeah, right. You know, but that, that encounter, dude, yeah. that, that is just so cool to watch. Right. I mean, it, it chokes me up thinking about how many times I've been blessed to see that. Yeah. Is there one time particular, like that was like particularly impactful or just like a moment of being a youth minister that you look back there, if it was all, even for just this one person, this one moment, it would have been worth it. There's several. I mean, actually, there's too many no. to kind of sort through. A um, couple that come to mind, uh, one was not even in youth ministry per se, is when uh, we owned a coffee shop. And we always hired everyone that was like at the Catholic youth, I mean, the Catholic center yeah. at South and it was always friends of friends of friends. We didn't, we right. didn't ever put up a sign, now hiring, and right. people walk in, except for this one girl, this one girl that was a regular, that one day we were talking about our schedules and somebody was like, well, I can't work that schedule. And she touted out, she's like, I could. And we turned and we're like, okay, um, you're awesome. We know you yeah. and okay. So we hired someone that we didn't have that association with right. before, you know, the connections, the references and everything. Anyway, long story short, she worked there for a while. And then one day it's just she and I in there working and she turns to me and she goes, Todd, what would it take to be Catholic? Mm. I'm like, huh? It's like, we, yeah, we have a crucifix up on the wall, but it's not like we would talk about that kind of yeah. stuff per se. And I said, well, if you don't mind me asking, why? And she goes, I've just come to the realization that the happiest people I know are Catholic. Mm. And she was struggling with not being happy. Right. And she, she had never been baptized. And she came into the church Man. and I told her after we sold that business, we, we lost, we lost our shirt over the whole thing. Sure. I mean, we're not great business people. <laughs> you know, I'm all about ministry. We're happy. I know. We love people. We're happy. <laughs> There's a free coffee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. We have to pay the electric bill. So, but I told her, I, I wrote her a, a letter and I said, you know, we, we lost a, a great deal of money doing this venture. Yeah. But the treasure that we got was you coming into the church. And I said, it was worth every penny. Mm. 
It was worth every penny. But then there, there was a, another, there was a teen that I, I can't give too many details about because they wouldn't share, probably would, wouldn't want me to share with a lot of people that they struggled with suicidal feelings for a long time. And they came to us afterwards and they got some professional counseling and all the things that they needed. But they said it was coming to life teen that was always the highlight. Like I could look ahead and go, I can make it to Sunday. Mm-hmm. Like I can, I can make it to Sunday. And we don't think about people that are just trying to make it. Right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not in that situation. Like I'm, I love my life. Yeah. But there are those people that they feel it's heavy and they just want to make it to something, to somewhere, to someone. Right. And, and that's what ministry is all about. Right. Yeah, like you said, people uh, feel like they're invisible. And I think some people feel, you can almost see that in some, like someone like that, you know, it's almost they feel like they're fading, you know, and then you, they show up on Sunday and it's like kind of yeah. brings them back in the forefront a little bit. and then Because they know they're going to get a cheer when they walk yeah, in the door. They get a little cheer. Yeah, and, like, yay! Yeah, okay, like uh, someone cares that I exist, you yeah. know. Um, what do you think uh, has been some of the, the the greatest struggles being a youth minister? Um, you know, they say the average lifespan of a youth minister is not very long. I've heard different stats on that, you know, maybe two to three years if you've, you know, I've heard seven months. I've heard, but anyways, it's not like yeah, 20 years is not the average. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Um, and it's, uh, I'm an enigma and I recognize that. I used to hate it because we'd go to these conferences and they'd all the youth ministers stand up. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh God, I know what they're going to do. I yeah, hate this. Right. And if this is your first year in ministry, sit down. <laughs> it was like thunder. Right. And then there'd be a handful of us standing around like, oh no, this is going to take a while. Yeah, right. You know, it's like, if this is your second year in yeah. ministry, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, then, then there's like four of us. Right. And we're looking around and me and, and another friend of mine that I went to college with, we just kind of looked there like, Here we all go. right, can you speed it up? Skip ahead. <laughs> yeah. Skip ahead. Yeah. But um, the hardships are, it, it drains you because you have to spend yourself. Right. Authentically to do ministry, you have to be in a relationship. Authentically. I mean, if you're just running a program, then no offense, like who cares? Anyone can do that. Right. But if you're really, if you have a, a ministerial heart, then you're going to be in relationship with these kids. And that, that gets draining, right? That gets tiresome. And that's when I knew I had to get out of youth ministry. Cause I remember the teenagers were doing the planning for the upcoming summer and they're like, Oh, we need to do an all nighter. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do an all nighter. It just wipes me out. No. You know, I, at, I was a grandfather at that point in time. Like I'm just, and, and I knew I was like, Oh no, they need an all nighter. They need a new person. They need a new person. Right. Someone else, and it's okay. You know, someone else is going to come in and they're going to love them. Right. Because that's what's important. That's what's important. So the hard, the hardships are the fact that it just really does drain you because right. you, you've got to stay wound up. You got to be, you got to be excited that they're there. Right. Always, always excited. And even, even if you're just tired. You can't have an off day. No. No, you literally can't have an off day. It's yeah. like, you know, if you're playing in the Masters, you know that if you have one off day, you're done. You might as well have just skipped the whole thing. Right. You know, so ministry is the Masters, just full time. Right. It's just full time. You, you've you've got to make sure that, because there have been a couple times in my life where I've really had to repent for um, not uh, being present with the teens in the manner that they deserve. 
And it, you know, I went up to a kid one time and I was like, you know, you shared that and I didn't show as much excitement as I should have. And I'm sorry. And they were like, no, no, no big deal. I said, no, it is a big deal. Right. It is a big deal. Cause I am super excited. I was just tired. Right. I was just tired. And, and there are those times where it's like, you got to get over yourself, man. Right. Just get over yourself, have some more coffee and then move on. <laughs> um, what for maybe youth ministers out there listening and they're hearing this and they're like, okay, I'm, I'm tracking with all this. And I know I got to give like a big gift to myself. What were things as far as you taking care of yourself spiritually, you've, you've mentioned spiritual director, yeah. having different spiritual directors, um, obviously being married, having 10 kids. There's a lot, a lot of energy there as well. Woo! But how, how did you, how did you, could you give some guide guidance to people listening as far as like, how did you balance mm -hmm. the two things? And what did you find that was important for you to have to be able to be replenished? Yeah. Well, the secret sauce for me personally is the daily mass. Yeah. Like that's, that's absolutely like if, if you don't, um, and not that I feel obligated, I feel invited. Mm. I feel invited every day to Christ's altar. And so, and I, I, I always just assume that he's always going to give me an opportunity and pretty much he has for the last 35 years, mm -hmm. I think I've missed mass five times or something, but, and that's like been weird stuff where I just kind of chuckle about it. It's like, oh, sorry, Lord, you know, the car broke down. <laughs> like, no, what no. am I supposed to do? And, and I, I'm waiting sometimes for a miracle to take place. And sometimes it does. You know, I, I remember, golly, we had a great priest friend of ours that my, we had to get my wife, um, she had cancer and she was having surgery. We had to leave the house at 5 a.m. to get to the hospital. And when the priest who was anointing her found that out, he goes, well, how are you, how are you getting to mass? And I said, you know, I guess, I guess we're not because we have to you know, be there at five. He goes, I'll be at your house at 4.30. And he came and said mass for us at 4.30 in the morning. Wow. So for, the, for me, that's where I get my life is from the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. um, the balance is something that you always have to kind of do a recheck on because I didn't always have that well. Right. When I first started in ministry, I was burning myself out and, and we had events every single night except Saturday night. Golly. So it was su Sunday night, regular life teen, Monday night, uh, uh, not Bible study, praise and worship, Tuesday night, holy hour, Wednesday night, Bible study, Thursday night, open gym, uh, Friday night, movie night. I mean, there was just always something going on because I, I was not being, I wasn't being balanced. I really wasn't, to be honest. And, uh, Finally, my wife put her foot down. She goes, we need to see more of you. We need more of, more of you at home. Right. And I had to cut some things out and it was hard. Yeah. It was really hard because you're cutting things out that are, that were, they were going well. Right. Because you're showing up to this. Yeah. Dude, it's helping yeah. ministry. Right. 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 So, you know, that I even got to a point where I was like, I don't even know if, you, I mean, it's celibate priesthood makes a whole lot of sense to me. Maybe celibate youth ministry would make more sense yeah, right. because then I could have done, you know, seven nights a week. Who cares? And, and just right. move along. Right. What about, I've heard you talk about this um, youth ministry. Like you said, when you came in, you were from a family that wasn't necessarily practicing. Mm -hmm. What is that like? What is the role of parent, like collaborating with parents? Like I know, I know you said before, and I've heard other people in youth ministries, like, okay, you do all this stuff. You try to reach kids and all, and then if it's not supported at home, 
Um, makes it more difficult. Makes it more difficult. Yeah. You don't want to say um, that it's that it doesn't work, right. but it does make it more difficult. When, right. when, we, when we talk about soil here on native soil, mm-hmm. um, you can garden in, in some pretty, you know, garbagey soil and it's not going to do so well. Right. You're not, you're not going to get a great harvest. Right. But then if you're really working the soil and tilling the soil, and I used to have an awesome garden and I'd bring the manure in and all this stuff and till it up. And I mean, we get tomatoes that were crazy awesome. Right. That's what we need the family life to be like. When it's not that way, you do the best that you can with what you've got. Right. I mean, that's what I, I try to attribute in my whole life. Like I always just try to do the best I can with what I've got. I don't lament about it. And if it's something that I can't change, but there are certain things that you can tell, like certain teens, it was a joke easy to minister to them because it was being supported at home. Right. And and parents were totally on board. Now, what do you need? You know, they were, they were just there for you. And then you had others like, um, my wife did the cooking for us for years and years and years. And, you know, she's cooking for a hundred people. So it's a big, big meal, big things of jambalaya and big things of pasta with sausage and big things of whatever. Right. Well, one time we had a teen that had been super involved and it had been there every Wednesday and Sunday night for four years, wow. all the way through high school. I mean, they were always there. It was just pretty cool. Um, they were even early on, they got to walk there because they were, they lived that close to the church. But r- instead of writing me a thank you, he wrote a thank you to Angel and said, I want to thank you for my two home-cooked meals every week. Wow. My two home-cooked meals every week. Wait a minute. When she's cooking for 100, 100 people, people, that's the home-cooked meal? So you don't know where these kids are coming from. I would have thought that that kid was coming from a really solid family, even though I guess I didn't see the parents much. But right. um, that, was, that was the home-cooked meals, you know, so... Uh, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great if the parents were totally on board and would support that. Sometimes the kids would get so on fire that it would upset the parents. Right. That always tripped me out. Right. They're like, yeah, kids getting up early, going to 6.15 a.m. mass. It's, you know, I got to drive them. I'm like, oh, wait, uh, are, what are you complaining about? <laughs> yeah, like, right. what what's going on here? Right. So it, there are times at one point in time early on in the ministry and I realized how ridiculous this is. And again, this is going to sound weird, but my wife and I literally did look at a really large house. There was a huge house that was going up for sale and it had like eight bedrooms. I mean, just gargantuan. Right. And we weren't thinking about our 10 kids. We were thinking about some of the, the teens in the youth group that just needed a little bit of time in a solid, stable family. Right. You know, they, they'd come from a lot of brokenness and a lot of woundedness and a lot of garbage at home, you know, cause some kids think about this, they're in situations where DHR wouldn't intervene, but it really is hurting them. Right. Does, does that make sense? I mean, yeah. it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of brow beating. There's a lot of talking down. There's it, when teens tell me that they don't want to go home and, and there's no physical abuse and it's not like they're, you know, being abused in the manners that are horrible that we, you know, think about, but it's just not, it's not a happy place. Yeah. It's not something where they go and they, they feel protected, they feel nurtured, they feel mm-hmm. affirmed. So I, I would love for that to happen. I would love for my job to go away. Right. 
I would have loved for youth ministry to just fade away and, and maybe just become an activities director right. and just, you know, we'll have a Saturday volleyball tournament <laughs> with families <laughs> yeah. and come and then we'll have a crawfish boil and then go home and then I'm done. Right. That would be cool. But unfortunately, the kids weren't being loved in the manner that they needed to be right. at home. And, and that's, that's why God calls people into youth ministry. If you've seen you've seen youth ministry evolve over the years. Yeah. Um, I would imagine when you first started out and the way it is now, it's probably a little different. <laughs> <laughs> a little different. Yeah. If I start saying all the things that we did, uh, I might get arrested. Yeah. I mean, there were no forms. There was yeah. no cell phones. Yeah. There was just pile in, baby. Yeah. Everybody in the back of the truck. Yeah. We're going to get ice cream. Yeah. I mean, it was. Oh, yeah. Now those freedoms. If you're, if everybody's okay, and if everybody's in their in their right place, right. And, and not trying to take advantage of any of these kids, it's great. Right, it's great. You know, that's the reason why I got a little frustrated when the whole child protection stuff came about because, on one side, it's it's wonderful and it's necessary, and you got to right. do background checks and all that stuff. But uh, I'll give you two examples. One, I had a young person, young adult, that came. And they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm back in town, and I want to get involved in youth ministry that I had just recently taken over." And I was like, "I don't know you." And they're like, "Yeah, but I used to be the person's right hand man." I'm like, "You're not my right hand man. Yeah. I, I don't know you." And they go, "Yeah, but I did the background check in the child protection." I'm like, "That doesn't tell me squat." That means that you haven't been arrested. Right. I'm like, but you give me the EBGBs and I'm not having you around the young people because as a youth minister, one of the f things we have to do is we have to protect them. Right. I'm, I'm the dad to all these kids now. It's like, back off, dude. Right. And he got furious right. and talked to the pastor and talked to, you know, downtown and all this stuff. And, and I was like, listen, I, I'll, I'll, I just want everybody to know I'll quit over this one. Right. If you force me to have somebody that I'm uncomfortable around, the teenagers, I said, anybody that is that desirous to be involved with young people, there's something wrong with them. Right. Like, I mean, it's like, why? You know, I want to be involved in youth ministry. It's like, why? Right. Well, if you don't answer because I feel called by the Holy Spirit, then I don't want you there. Because that's the only reason why you would be there. Right. Because you have to see them in that, in that way. You have to see them in that way. So, I mean, that's what, that's what the heart of youth ministry is. And, and so when they first started with the child protection stuff, they were like, oh, Todd, you can't do this and you can't do that. And you can't do this. I'm like, listen, it sounds to me like you're trying to protect the kids from me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, if, if my track record hasn't covered me yet, as soon as th there's, a, there's a, a question about my motives or the way that I see these kids, then get me out. Go ahead and fire me. I don't care. Right. I don't care. You, you, but if you're there because you love these kids authentically, authentically, you, you, you love them into eternity, well, then don't try to protect the kids from the one that wants to minister to them. Because right. they're, they're got to be a point where at one point in time, I was so frustrated. I, I even use this as an analogy. I said, I feel like I'm the lifeguard and I'm sitting up on my chair and you won't let me jump in. The kids are drowning right. and you won't let me jump in. So it's a balancing act. I get it. We have to protect the kids. But as soon as you've got somebody in there that is protecting them, then you should feel safe. Like when I go out to eat and there's a bunch of police officers sitting there eating lunch, right. I feel super safe. Right. I'm not thinking those people have guns. Right. Well, of course they do. They're police. Yeah, right. You know, so as youth ministers, if you've got a, enough history behind you and, and people feel like, okay, 
you know, they, they've got themselves together. Right. You know, I've, I've never, I've never had any issues or problems. And in fact, one time I was at a youth ministry conference, you're going to love this one. Mm-hmm. We're sitting around the table. We're all, all a bunch of veteran youth ministers and we're all having dinner. You can imagine what that conversation was like. It was was pretty trippy. And one guy, you know, after having a beer or two, he he goes, yeah. So what do you guys do when you feel attracted to a girl in the youth, in the youth group? And kind of eyes, you know, get a little bit big and people going around and some people are kind of giving some advice and they get to me because I'm the grandfather. I've been there the longest. And they go, well, Todd, what do you think? And I said, you quit and you go work for UPS. You get out. Because as soon as you don't see them as kids anymore, then it's over. It's over for you. And it was like, wow, that was, that was kind of vicious. I'm like, no, it's not because this is ministry. And I said, if, if you do anything, if you follow those desires, you're going to hurt us all, not just that person's life and their family and that parish. And I mean, the repercussions go out throughout the entire church. I'm like, you're going to hurt us all. So I said, get out, get out. And, And I know that sounds brutal, but I mean, you have to be honest about what ministry is for. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of whose needs are being met. And right. Being honest with yourself about right. why you're there. And right. And, and if you and if if you might have been great and faithful for years, but it's like now if you've gotten to this point, it's like get out. It's like a it's like professional sports. Just see it as professional sports. The only problem is we don't make millions of dollars, but you have to get out at a certain point. Like you take a guy that's been in the NBA for 12 years, and now he's got a couple injuries. You know, he's a little bit slower and all that kind of stuff. He could still cream you and I. He could, he could destroy us in a game, all right? But out among the NBA players, it's showing. It's, he's showing his age. So in, in ministry, you get to that point where it's just like, you know, you don't have it anymore. You don't have it anymore. Yeah. You, you, you got to move on. Let another young person come in. Is there anything, um, after all these years in youth ministry, and obviously you kind of taking a step back at this point mm-hmm. from being like as hands-on, um, is there anything kind of from your perception of kind of like the what's needed or kind of something that's that needs to be developed or, or you see there's kind of um because kids are always changing the yeah. culture is changing yeah it's a, it's a great question it's a great <clears throat> question I mean what's really needed I don't think we we will be able to do it right now because it's too entrenched we got to kid, get kids off social media yeah. we got it we got to get their cell phones out of their out of their hands I mean it's an addiction and it, and it's hurting them. It's hurting them. It's not helping them socially. It's not helping them personally. It's uh, not helping, you know, when people go, oh, get this new great app. It's like, no, no, uh, uh, we're not doing this anymore. Right. We're not looking at one another eye to eye and talking anymore. Yeah. And that is not good for the development of the person. Like you and I, we're adults. So a lot of things were already set in place before the cell phone even existed. Yeah. I'm 54. So the cell phone hasn't been around until I was already married with kids and, and developed a life. These kids don't know a life without it. Right. They, they can't remember not having a cell phone. Yeah. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Even in the world of priestly formation, that there's this new propedeutic year that's kind of being implemented. But like one of the big things is like the first year in seminary, it's kind of a year of getting away from media and cell phone because most people going to the seminary now have that same experience yeah. of never having lived without the internet right. in their pocket and yada yada and so everyone's scrambling like how do we create an environment that's like a detox you know that kind of gives people a chance to experience human life for no fault of their own but for the first time right in kind of a maybe more healthy organic way and 
Um, so yeah, I think that's something that the church in many levels is kind of like, how, how do we deal with this? How do we kind of strike the right balance? I, I, unfortunately, I think what's going to happen is we're going to see the, the real fruits come out of it and it's going to be horrible. And then people are going to try to react. And at that point in time, it's just going to be really rough. Like I had a dad come to me and and he was like, you know, my daughter is really struggling and and she's struggling with her self-esteem and the way she looks at herself and, and she's depressed and, and everything. And I said, take her cell phone away. He goes, oh my gosh. I could never do that. No, he said, I think she would kill herself. And I was like, now listen to your words. Right. Because of the little device, your daughter would kill herself. And I'm not even saying that you're not right, but something's really wrong with that. Right. She shouldn't be that connected to that device. Because then he asked me, because I have a 16-year-old daughter also, he goes, well, what, what do you do? And I said, well, every night she puts her phone by my bedside. And he goes, what? I said, yeah, she puts her phone by my bedside and I've got her passcode and I, I, I go in and I read some of her text messages and look at where she's been and, and all this stuff. He goes, oh my gosh, you know, if I was that intrusive, he used that word, if I was that intrusive with my daughter, I'm like, it's your daughter. <laughs> you just said she's struggling. Right. You right. love your daughter. Love right. your daughter enough to be a parent. So with ministry, I, man, I don't, I don't know what I'd do right now. I mean, I'd, I'd want the kids to turn in their cell phones, just coming into the youth center, right. which a bunch of the kids would be like, I'm not coming then. Right. Because they're so stinking attached to that device. Right. I know it's tough. It's always, it's, it's always in the, the events I'm part of. It's like, how are we going to, how are we going to approach that? You know? And, um, but any, any event I'm part of where they don't have them, we take them away. There's like that initial, like, Oh, they're oh, liberated, so you know? Better. And they yeah, always say at the end, they're like, Oh man, like, yeah, it was nice to be free. Yeah. For a that freedom. Days. Right. But um, on a flip side, what has it been like for you to see kids that you ministered to grow up and get married, have children, become priests, you know, to have, you know, even your own children, like go to seminary, go to religious life? What, I mean, that's got to be rewarding. I mean, what is that like to see kids turn out okay? And not only okay, but to, you know, to flourish. All in. Yeah, to flourish. Yeah, to yeah. really flourish. It, it's cool. I mean, it's humbling, to be honest, because again, you know, if, if we understand really our part in this, mm-hmm. all we're trying to do is be a channel of grace. Right. That's all we're trying to do. You know, I, I just want to be docile enough to the Holy Spirit to where he can work with me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why the prayer is always sincere when you're like, Lord, speak through me. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, these are your hands, Lord. These are your feet. Whatever you need me to do, let, let me do it because he gave me the strength to do it. So go do it. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's humbling. It's, it's cool. It does feel great. I'm not going to lie. No. It, it feels great because you want, well, two things. First of all, I, I tell people, I tell parents all the time, our children tell the world who we are. Our children tell the world who we are. And that's not just biological kids. It's like anyone that you fathered, anyone that you've been an uncle to, anybody that you've, you know, been kind of that person to, to, you know, to say, emulate me, St. Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Right. But um, that being said, you know, what do we want of our children? We want them to be happy. I want them to be happy. Like I was super stoked recently when my daughter got married. And, and I've always said to my daughters, you know, if you're bringing home somebody to meet daddy, because you think that they're the one, I want you to bring home somebody that's better than me, because that's how much I love you. Mm-hmm. That's how much I love you. 
I want you to have the best and I'm going to set the standard high. Because yeah. my oldest daughter was like, dad, that's not fair. And I said, I don't care about fairness. I don't care about fairness. This is about love. I love you. And I want someone who is going to love you mm-hmm. because that's what you deserve. That's what you deserve. So when she brought home her now husband, you know, he was nervous as all get out because she told him that. Wow. And he was like, Todd, please, I, I, I'm not better than you. Right. And I'm like, okay, but then talk to me. You know, are you a good man? Are you a good man? I need you to seek holiness. And I mean, I need you to seek it like it's your last breath. That's what I need from you. And I need to see that you love my daughter because one of these days I'm going to die and she's just going to have you. She won't be able to call me to come and change the oil in her car or fix the plumbing leak in her kitchen. She's only going to have you. Are you going to be there for her? And of course he started crying. He's he's like, I I hope so. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm committed to that. I, I need to hear it from you because that's what you want from all of your kids. So anybody, any of the kids that go through the youth group, it's the same thing. I want them to be happy. Right. Why do you think we want them to be in relationship with Christ? Right. That's where you're going to be the happiest. Yeah. You will be the happiest when you are in relationship with Christ. It doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer. Right. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have hard times. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that you are going to be happy. It freaked people out when St. Maximilian Kolbe was seen as being peaceful. He had a peaceful demeanor in Auschwitz. You couldn't get a more hellacious place on the planet. And yet he had a peaceful demeanor because he knew who he was and he knew that he was loved by the Father. He knew that. That's it. And And he had that relationship with the Holy Spirit that was inside of him. God resides in us. We are walking around like we're tabernacles. Mm -hmm. And if you realize that, then of course, it's also going to change the way that you want to affect the world. It is a missed opportunity if I encounter any person and they don't feel loved. That's a missed opportunity. Right. and, And that's what ministry is. Every single one of those kids that came through those doors should have felt loved. So yeah, do, do I think it's cool when they grow up and they start having kids? And yeah, of course. <laughs> right. And I always tell them, I'm like, it is amazing the memories that are attached to them. It's amazing. I just, I just saw a mom, she's got three kids and uh, one of them is, no, four kids. She has four kids. Oh, shoot. Now I'm, I've lost track. But she's got a, a freshman going to McGill and she, th- um, my daughter will be their teacher. And, and she's freaking out yeah, because right. she used to babysit my daughter. Yeah. That kind of blows do, your mind Do you see? Bit. I mean, yeah. the, the, when you connect all the dots, you're just like, this is awesome. Yeah. This is just tremendous. It is. Well, man, it's it's so awesome to have you here. Like I said, when I started, when we started brainstorming for this uh, season on youth ministry, I was like, Todd Sylvester, got to get this guy, you know, to talk to him. I've been honored. And, um, I mean, I've been I've been honored by it. Like I said, there's, remember, there's a whole lot of other people connected to the ministry. Yes. You know, I couldn't have done it. I, I, without my wife feeding everyone, it, it just wouldn't have happened. Yeah, and the Lord, and, and I like you to say, like, the Lord brought you here. Yeah. The Lord gave you the gift of being a youth minister. Mm-hmm. He, he, like God, <laughs> yeah. he asked you to do this. Yeah. The same God that spoke to you that day at the retreat, the mm-hmm. same God, you know, that got you fired up, you know, and going to Steubenville, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that God, like personally, you know, through uh, Monsignor Wall, <laughs> his fourth phone call, 
It's amazing to see the Holy Spirit work, but he brought you to our native soil and what a gift you've been. And I know even for me, I can't tell you people I've run into that, like you talk about loving people and all these things, but you've done that. And I think part of that you said is joy. You know, like uh, there's a French author that says like joy is the infallible sign of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Pope Benedict one time wrote, joy is the gift of the Holy Spirit that encapsulates all the others. Like that's Amen. the end all, Amen. that's the end product of that encounter. Mm -hmm. You encounter Jesus Christ and the authentic, the authenticity of it, it, it makes you joyful. Sure, you have your problems and everything, but even sometimes when you don't feel joyful, the Lord will give you the grace to be joyful. Amen. And you've given that gift to so many people, and I know you know a lot of people, you know, even vocation director, priest, I just circulate a lot, and so you meet a lot of people, hear a lot of stories, and you know your name has definitely come up a lot of times. And I know it's I know it's the Lord's work, but we all have our role to play, and you know I know even you know. The Pleslas, you know, grew up at your Father Connor, who we're going to interview, uh, Father Peyton. Um, I love those you know, boys. And countless others, you know, have mentioned like, yeah, like, and they'll quote things, you know, and it's not all what you say, but they'll say like, yeah, I remember he said this, or I remember we did this, you know, and obviously it's part of that encounter, you know, that ongoing encounter they had. So definitely grateful to you and, and grateful that the rest of the diocese gets to kind of hear more from you, hear more of your story and, and, um, be blessed by it, you know, as we, as so many of us have been. Amen. Amen. It's been good. It's been awesome. It's been quite the ride. Um, one last question for you. Yo, did you bring us some soil? I did. I have some soil. You got in a nice mug there. Yes. Tell I, us didn't, I didn't know what to Put it in. Tell tell us where it's from. It's Why, from, why'd you choose it? It's from my backyard. Nice. It's from my backyard because for me the the blessing has been my family. Um, they they are what made me who I am. I mean, I when people are like, oh wow, you know, it's amazing that you can be in ministry and do all these things. It's like you just have no idea how supported I am in my home life. Yeah, and the, Lord, no the Lord gave you your wife even oh, before he, he told you you're going to be youth minister, you know? That's so trippy. Like and the I, fact that she, I mean, what a beautiful thing to see the Holy Spirit work in the sacrament of marriage. You're, you, you had just uh, Godfather slammed the phone down like, there's no way I'm doing this. But the Holy Spirit speaks to her. You know, he wasn't getting through to you. <laughs> Spoke to her, and she's I like, "I thought we already had the conversation." Yeah, yeah. Like, let's. What do you think about moving back down south? And but together in that conversation, y'all arrived at. You know, you found that kind of clarity, which I just, it's a great story of like the concreteness, but also the messiness and this. The the Lord speaks to us through the body of the Christ. Mm -hmm. you know, usually, there's like a couple people involved in it. Um, but what an awesome thing, you know, through your wife and through your conversation, you know, that he gave you made it clear this big this big call to be youth minister a but to come be part of our native soil and for so many years if you do feel called to marry life then you want to marry someone that's better than you yeah and i did and and that's made all the difference from day one you know marry up people marry up <clears throat> all you young guys out there listening mm -hmm. <clears throat> marry up there are some <laughs> saintly girls out there that's those right. are the ones to get that's awesome yeah well, we could talk a lot more, but this might be a good time to land the plane. Sure. Talk, talking about marrying up. and um, This was a blessing. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you hold on to this? I just want to ask uh, God's blessing over you, your soul, your life. Thank you. And then we'll close out. Nice. In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Heavenly Father, we love you. We bless you. We give you all praise and glory. Thank you for Todd. Thank you for thinking him up for his faith, for his wife, his family. Thank you for this call you've put on his life to come to Mobile, to be an archdiocese, to be a part of our native soil, and to go all in and serving our youth and serving all those you know you put in his path. We implore your blessings upon him, his family, his ministry, um, in every aspect. We thank you for the years of ministry he's given us. We thank you for the years to come. We thank you for all the graces, this channel that he is. Just keep him open and keep him listening, Lord. You, I'm sure you still have plenty of assignments for him. Just keep him listening to your Holy Spirit. Blessed Mother, we ask your intercession for him and his family in a special way moving forward as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And through a powerful intercession, may God bless you, your soil, all those listening. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless y'all. Look forward to having you back here with us next time on Native Soil. Mm-hmm.